Thank you, Jesus. We're going to continue um, our series this morning in and through the book of Acts, and it's called um, Unfolding the Great Commission, if you're new to us. Um, and as a church, I suppose, that's still relatively young, um, we, uh, we feel like uh, it was important for us to look at some things that help us with, uh, lay the right kind of foundations for the kind of church that we believe the Lord wants us to be. And so we kind of keep asking ourselves this question as we go through the book of Acts. How do we locate our story as a local church in the context of the big story of God? Um, that the book of Acts comes to us as a gift to reveal to us how the local church was um, part of the big global church. It was going to fulfill what Jesus said it was going to, which is to take the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And so over the last few weeks, um, we've kind of been coming back to that because we taught on this, as you know, um, last year, and then took a little bit of a break from it to, to do our practice series. Um, <clears throat> but uh, if, if you missed it, you might want to listen to a couple of weeks ago, I did a bit of a survey of what we'd learned to date up until about Acts chapter 10. And then um, Chris um, uh, shared a couple of weeks ago on the fundamental characteristic of the book of Acts, which is the leading and the birthing and the guiding and the sustaining of the church by the person of the Holy Spirit, that he is the key um, person personality in the book of Acts. He's leading the church. The church is born out of the womb of God. It's supernatural, energized with his life. And anything that doesn't have the life of the Spirit in it isn't really authentically a local church because the Spirit was poured out into humanity. And the Spirit in these early days... Um, was teaching these Jesus followers how to live and how to love like a family. And therefore, we looked at their series, uh, the first kind of sub-series of this, or Origins, how the local church came into being, what were the kind of practices they were devoted to, and all of that. And so we've, we've taught that and got an idea of the things that they, they were devoted to, prayer and fellowship. There was a oneness and a one-heartedness. They were, to, they were committed to the breaking of bread, to the apostles' doctrine, and they shared everything with the needy. There was a radical generosity. Okay, so we, we did all of that, and that took us up to like Acts chapter 6. And then we became aware that as good as it all was up until those chapters, it was still pretty much centered in Jerusalem. And Jesus said that it wouldn't be centered in Jerusalem forever, it would actually move beyond Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, until the ends of the earth. And so the Spirit, through the persecution of the church, broke out. And so we had our, our series, um, Spirit break out because the Holy Spirit had to get a hold of the people, get a hold of their cultural uh, prejudices, their sectarian spirits, had to get a hold of that kind of stuff, breathe in them, and through something really bad like persecution, spread the gospel into new areas. And so that has brought us up to like Acts chapter 10 um, or 11 around about there where we've seen the Holy Spirit fall on the Gentiles. And um, and now where we're at is people have been moving with this kingdom message beyond the, the kind of walls that they had in their own minds, even around Jerusalem, and they've been moving from that into new lands with the gospel of Jesus. Yeah. And now they're trying to work out how do they do community? Okay, so as they move and they share the good news of Jesus, people start to respond because <clears throat> the gospel's coming in power. And, and then there's these beachheads, if you like, of little kind of groups that have come to know Jesus. And what they have to work out and what the Apostle Paul particularly has to work out is how do we group them in communities? How do we teach them to love one another in the way that Jesus has modeled out to the disciples? Because these are Gentiles, remember? So they didn't get to hang out with Jesus, okay? They're just learning all of this. They're experiencing the power of God. And Paul is helping them to understand how to be what we're going to call the church. Um, 
And what we're going to find is that the, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to Paul that the church is actually the centerpiece plan for the whole world. It's been Christ's centerpiece plan for the world. And up until this point, it had actually been a mystery. It hadn't fully been revealed. And so it's really fascinating. I love this kind of stuff. So I, I can appreciate the fact that maybe I can just geek out in this stuff, right? But the reality is, here is a normal man who's had a Damascus Road experience, who is getting revelation from the Holy Spirit about what is now happening in front of him, what he's witnessing amongst these groups of people that are coming to know Jesus, that had no reference point for anything to do with that kind of faith before. And all of a sudden, he's watching these little groups come together, and he's realizing this has been a mystery that has been hidden for ages. And now, now, in these moments, Paul is saying, it's now being revealed that God has had this idea for, from eternity. And now it's, now it's happening. here's the scripture that Bruna said last week, and it's worthwhile us repeating. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me, right? So what grace was given to him? It's twofold. To preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of grace, right? Or the boundless riches of Christ, sorry. So that's the the first part of his assignment from the Lord, to preach specifically to the Gentiles, okay? Preach to the Jews as well. Didn't have as much favor with them, but when he preached to the Gentiles, lots of things happened, okay? And then the second part is to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery or the plan of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amazing, amazing scripture, right? Paul is watching before his own eyes a big big global family start to form out of loads of little families forming and this kind of network, or we would like to call it a family of families, starts to emerge around <clears throat> the upper parts of around the Mediterranean Sea. And Paul is realizing that this is an absolute phenomenon. There, I was able to say that word too, right? It was, it was, and it still is. It still is an utter phenomenon, right? Breathed by the Holy Spirit, that the, that the thing that God has had in his heart for ages past, which is what he wanted to reveal through the Israelites and through the children of Israel in the Old Testament, but now in and through Jesus, who has become the fulfillment of Israel, this is for everyone, right? And Jesus is revealing by his Spirit to Paul the beauty of the church. A mature global community is now starting to form that reflects the person of Jesus Christ. So you have to remember that, remember, this is the story of how a small little Jewish sect, or cult in some people's minds, right? But how a small little Jewish sect is going to break down every wall to become a multi-ethnic, multicultural, diverse international family, right? There's never been anything like it, right? You're part of something today that there's never been anything like this, right? A a small Jewish sect is going to break down walls to become multi-ethnic, multicultural, diverse international family, right? Um, The Spirit energizing people, empowering people to carry the gospel into new places, healing the sick, casting out demons, proclaiming the gospel, introducing the way of Christ, 
and forming themselves into these beautiful little communities of love and sacrifice. They really were continuing what Jesus had done. They were taking it serious. And the reason the church exists was to be the actual body of Christ still on the earth, to continue the ways of Jesus in and through themselves. And so it wasn't until we get to Acts chapter 11 that we're told the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, okay? They were little Christs, Christ ones. It was almost like a nickname because up until that point, the Jews were called followers, the Jewish followers of Jesus were were called followers of the way. But then as this kind of broke into Gentile territory, people who weren't Jews, the Holy Spirit then got a hold of these people's lives and they actually started, by the help of the apostles and the leaders of the church, they actually started to be reformed into ones that looked like Christ. And so their nickname became Christians, right? And uh, they formed little groups, drawn into deep family, little beachheads of believers were established, and they were known by the, they were known by the culture around them as this quirky little bunch of people who like met together kind of in secret, but like, you know, they, they did certain things. They had like these love feasts. There was all sorts of innuendos, all sorts of um, gossip, all sorts of, what are these guys at? Like they sure meals together. They go and into like a room or an apartment and what is going on in there? They were cute. Could they look after the poor? Like the ones, the babies that are thrown out on the, on, you know, out, out for like basically because they're, they're deformed or whatever. They go and like get those babies out of the rubbish heaps and they bring them in. And like, what is it about these people that became known as Christ ones, Christians, the church looking like Jesus? And so <clears throat> they were made up of people from different backgrounds, from different social classes, all surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Not surrendered around one particular politician, not surrendered around Caesar, not surrendered around a particular set of cultural norms or things that they were comfortable for them, but gathered around the Lordship of Jesus in order to become one new humanity on the earth, right? One new humanity, offering hope and life and transformation to the cities and nations all around them. And so the name that Paul gives to these communities, right, he has to give them a name. And it's where we get our name church from. But it's the Greek word ecclesia, which is why we're looking at that over the next few weeks. The word ecclesia, as Bruna said last week, and she did an unbelievable, I listened to her talk, she did an unbelievable job. That was a brilliant teach last week, absolutely brilliant. If you didn't listen to it, you should. It was masterful on what on everything that we're trying to get at here. And the ecclesia means to literally call out, okay? Um, ak is where we get our word excavate from, right? To call out. And, um, and, and, but it also comes, the raw material of the word ecclesia comes from uh, a word that wasn't ex- specifically used in church before. It was used to describe a political assembly of citizens um, in the definition of ancient Greece or like church members. So it was used and it was picked up by basically in every little village around that kind of part of the world. There would have been a wise old set of elders, people like, you know, with like maybe a bit more white hair or gray hair than others, but like seasoned or maybe no hair, seasoned, um, just wise old kind of sages. And they would have sat at the city gates of many villages and they would have made decisions about the village. Uh, I suppose it's some kind of form of, you know, kind of city council, if you like. But at those times, it wasn't so much as a position as it was people who had just been there and done it and who embodied wisdom. And they made decisions about the the city or the town or the village that they were from, elders within a community. And so Paul takes that word and he uses it to try and uh, find a word to describe these communities that are being formed, which we know now as the church. 
But this is the raw material of that word, uh, taken from an understanding of a wise group of people who were living with a common vision for the harmony and the well-being of the wider community that we're part of. And so Paul takes that and uses that to help people understand the church, because Paul wanted to be these these new Christians to be a people that were both in the world but not of the world, okay? And so we had to help them understand it. A community of people who represented a different type of politics. This was the politics of Jesus. And he wanted them to be a, a, what we sometimes describe as a colony of heaven, a little community of people that looked like the body of Christ that would add value, beauty, hope, transformation, and life into the community that we're a part of. And that's That can seem maybe a bit like theory to you, but it's so essential for us as we try to establish church because we want to be the kind of church where many of you are living your life out loud, trying to bring something of that beauty and hope to school classrooms, to hospital wards, to building sites, to the shops that you own or the shops that you shop in, carrying a different kind of way carrying a different kind of spirit, living out the mandate of Jesus. And so we gather here like we've done this morning as the ecclesia to, to open our hearts once again to the Lordship of Jesus and to remind ourselves and to sing as Amber led us this morning, you are good, you are good, you're always good. Our world needs to know that he is good, that he's always good. That in the midst of everything that we have mentioned already this morning can go on the right. He's good. And so we gather, we remind ourselves of it. We're kind of reformed a little bit more into sons and daughters of God. And then we carry this message into the world in which we live. We are the ecclesia or the ecclesia, whatever way you want to say it. Okay? And so as we go through the rest of the book of Acts, what we're going to see is the movement of the Holy Spirit continues through these radical Jesus followers. And not only does it move, it thrives. And the way it thrives is through the multiplication of these communities, right? It's not even people today, if you're into like church stuff and like how churches develop, they're into like church growth stuff, church growth and how church growth books. And that's all kind of part of it and can help a bit. But the early church didn't grow, it multiplied, right? It multiplied, you know, which is kind of an echo from the very beginning of creation because what did God say to Adam, you know, and Eve, be fruitful and grow. No, be fruitful and multiply, right? Multiply. And these churches actually multiplied. And it's so important for us to teach this because we want to be a church that multiplies, multiplies people, but multiplies churches, right? We want to multiply churches. We want to send people from this church to go and plant churches in other places, if that's what God's called them to do. Because this is the mandate that we're part of. If we haven't, if we're having our 10-year celebration, which isn't like, which will come pretty quick, right? And we haven't got to the point where we've planted at least one church, or at least very much talked about it, then I will be a little bit disappointed in, 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 inside. Right? And, and I'm not like trying to preempt. It's all in God's timing and He knows what He's doing and all of that. But it's the way it should be. We were never supposed to build monuments and maintenance mode kind of church. We were always, always supposed to be people that multiply the blessing that we just prayed for. We're supposed to multiply that. And we want to get caught up in the movement of the Spirit. But if you're not caught up in the movement of the Spirit, you won't multiply anything. Because you just, you just, it's just, it's uncomfortable multiplying stuff. You know, it's just, it just, 
it's just easier just to come and just like, like, like we know the form, we know the way this works now, we know the way a Sunday, you know, let's just do that. But God wants to multiply through it. And I really believe almost as strong today that I could start to prophesy in this place, I feel like there is a fresh multiplication dynamic coming on our churches. And I think the Lord is preparing us for that in the days ahead. And so the church was always expanding and it was always establishing. This is how the movement grew. It expanded, it pushed into new areas, and as it expanded, it established in these churches, in these communities, centered around the Lordship of Jesus. And so when Paul, what's really important to say is, when Paul was saying um, that scripture that we read, that, that through the church, the manifold wisdom, that he's looking at the church, he's not looking at like, He's not looking at our big conferences and all the things that we can do really well as a church these days. He's not looking at the CDs we're launching and, you know, all of that. He, or the production stuff that we can do. He's, he's looking at people who have been found out by the love of God, who have been radically saved, lives changed, experienced the power of God. People who would once have been enemies sitting around a table with bread and wine and taking of the same loaf of bread and drinking out of the same cup, and now they are one in the lordship of Jesus. And he's saying, whoa, this is the mystery that's been hidden for ages past, right? That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is now being revealed. It's being revealed, the principalities and powers. So all the evil spirits and strongholds and all of that, they can't get their head around this. This is disempowering them. Because the love that's being embodied, the same love as Jesus through these like ordinary people is actually breaking down strongholds in cities and nations, okay? And, um, and so it's amazing that when we see these communities coming together, we see <clears throat> that not just becoming a place of loving family, but they become the place where these churches are going to actually really change the world. Filled with the radical love of God, they're going to move into the cracks and crevices of society. They're going to shine God's light, and they're going to be families, but families on a mission. And this is what happens through the book of Acts. Um, so I put this up a couple of weeks ago. So there, the, the bottom red dot there, which is Jerusalem on the right, um, it started to make its way out of Jerusalem up to where that blue dot is. Antioch, okay, and Antioch is in Gentile territory, and it becomes like a really strategic and significant church into Gentile territory. Paul spends a bit of time there, and, um, and from this place, he goes on mission, and um, I know this is going to sound like, you know, um, uh, school RE, okay, but this is Paul, well, this is, like, this is, they reckon, probably Paul's third missionary journey, but, so this, this map's a little bit smaller, but if you can see the red dot, Antioch, on the right there, you can see all the kind of places he went. And as he goes through all of these places, and he went to others as well, he's planting churches. He's proclaiming the kingdom. The movement of the Spirit is moving. And as it moves, he's establishing churches. Okay? Incredible. I think they reckon he got, he did more miles and he did just short of the same amount of miles as Alexander the Great did, and he had, like, horses and chariots and all that kind of stuff. Unbelievable, okay? Um, so, Antioch becomes this key place for sending mission and sending churches, people out to plant churches and to proclaim the kingdom. And um, <clears throat> the reason I say this is because I want us to be, we want to be a church that caught up in this kind of movement. We really don't want to get stuck. We want to go to places like, you know, what is our Thessalonica, Ephesus, Corinth, 
all of these places where Paul goes and plants churches. <clears throat> they actually begin to transform cities and bring change in incredible ways. And so we want to see the kingdom expanded through our evangelism. We want to send people. We want to all be witnessing and gossiping about Jesus wherever we go. We want to see people one for Jesus. We want to see them established in the family of God. New communities planted in the soil of the ground where darkness has reigned for far too long. Let's go into some places, steal back what the enemy has taken for far too long. Let's take it back because Jesus has given us the keys of death and hell. We've got that authority. Let's go in. Let's proclaim the kingdom. Let's see his kingdom come. Let's establish families in the soil of God's earth. <laughs> and let's see leaders raised up in order to lead them. That's what we are to be about. And so I wanted to say all of that just by way of giving you the broader kind of understanding of the movement of the church and where we'll be going over the next few weeks. But what I want to talk to you about the rest of the day is how these churches started to take shape, okay? How the ecclesia started to take shape in the world. And while I hope this doesn't sound too heavy or too theoretical, I want to encourage you to stick with it because... What I want to propose to you and what I think I can strongly argue is this is the family you were born to be part of. Getting yourself established properly in the local church, particularly one that is open to the moving of the Spirit, is how you fulfill your spiritual destiny. I very strongly cannot understand. I just don't think it's biblical for, for us to, 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 to think that we can fulfill our destiny any other way than being established in the local church amongst local community amongst other local followers of Jesus. And so if any of what I say is resonating with your soul, even though it might be quite new over the next twenty minutes or so, it's because it's supposed to resonate with your soul. It's it's the it's it's what you're kind of born to be part of. And so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how the church is shaped up and structured as a family that fulfills a great commission. So just a little bit more context first. As the story of Acts unfolds, okay, and we saw the journey that Paul goes on, wherever he goes, he's expanding the kingdom. But as he moved on from these places, he's carrying them in his heart, okay? So he's carrying the churches in his heart. Like he planted churches in, in Ephesus and Thessalonica and Athens and Corinth, and eventually he got to Rome, right? So he's, he's planting and he's carrying them in his heart, okay? And so he, he, he longs to still speak to them, but he obviously can't. There's no emails, no internet, no Skype, no FaceTimes, no none of that there, right? Um, and so he's writing letters, okay, to these local churches. So it changes a little bit the way you read your New Testament. It's very helpful. So when you turn to like uh, any of the books, the Corinthians, the Thessalonians, all of that kind of stuff, he's, he's, he's writing to them because he's been there and he wants to get back to them. But in the meantime, he's saying, listen, would you think about these things, meditate on these things. This is the kind of people I'm reminding you who you were, who you're called to be and what the purpose in your life is. And one of those places was Ephesus, okay? And I want to speak to you a little bit from the book of Ephesians today, right? In Acts chapter 18, Paul goes to this city called Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a strategic city in the Roman Empire, right? It was the leading city in Asia, okay? And Paul seemed to realize the significance, because this was a strategic city, is if we can get a church there, if we can get a church there, then we can, we can, it can serve that whole region. But you know what? We're going to have to contend for it. We're going to have to fight for it. Because Ephesus is ruled by this goddess called Artemis, and all the people worship this goddess. And 
if we go there, there's going to be fireworks, boys, <laughs> right? And there was, which makes sense when you read the end of Ephesians. For those of you who know the, the, your Bible a little bit, you know, it's all about spiritual warfare and what you've got to wear. Because Ephesus is ruled by darkness. And Paul has got that kind of thing in his eyes where he's going, well, that's where the darkness reigns. We're going to go there. And we're going to go there in the power of the Spirit. And we're going to believe that these strongholds can come down. And we're going to pray in and believe God for a church to be established in the soil of this dark city. <laughs> and um, Paul gives this church a lot of his time. He gives it a lot of his investment. And what becomes apparent through the books of Acts is that the, <clears throat> through the leading of the Spirit, there are certain strategic churches. And again, that's just worthwhile us noting, because I might talk about this a little bit more next week. I feel like, like between ourselves and Lurgan and the other churches, I feel like God is calling us in this area to be a strategic church. And that doesn't mean we're a better church than anybody else, or we're better. It doesn't mean any of that. I'm not saying that for one bit, right? We're just sinners saved by grace like everything else. But we're not here just to have a little bit of a get-together on a Sunday, right? We want to establish a church in the soil, Mid-Ulster, right in the heartland of, our, of, of Northern Ireland, right? Where there's serious sectarian territorial spirits that have lived here for years, right? Not on, like, are we going to leave that for the next generation? Or can we be the people that break through in the heart of our country, in the heart of the north, right in the middle, where there's been all sorts of history? Can we break through? Can we break through by the Spirit in this place to see a strategic church established that's not trying to have big numbers for the sake of everybody. Oh, go to Emmanuel, the worship's really good there. And go to Emmanuel, do nice tea and coffee and have nice lights and da da da. I'm not really interested in that. Are we going to multiply disciples to go to reach this little island of ours, right? That's what we're after. That's what we're longing for. And so Paul is thinking about this in Ephesus. So I get really inspired when I listen to Paul when he speaks to the Ephesus or in Antioch, these places where he thought, let's develop these strategic churches in these places that can open up the blessing of God to whole areas. And so Paul is starting to realize how amazing this is. And he writes to the Ephesians, the people that live in Ephesus, after he's been there for a while, he writes them a letter. It's an amazing letter. It's maybe my favorite letter, all right? It's a beautiful, beautiful letter. And he's getting, it's basically he describes the constitution of how the church should really work and how it should really operate. And by the way, again, he's getting all this by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has given him this. And he writes to the church to remind them of their standing in Christ. So if you've read Ephesians before, you'll know the first two chapters are unbelievable. You know that we've been, you know, like predestined before the beginning of the world in chapter one. And it's by grace that you're saved through faith in chapter two. All of that kind of stuff. That we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Ephesians one and two are reminding them who they are in Christ. And then he gets into who they are as the church and who the church is called to be. And, uh, and we read in from chapter three. And now we're going to read from chapter four. Okay. Everyone still with me? Yeah? Thank you. Okay. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He descended, as he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ gave himself so Christ himself, sorry, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body may be built up. 
until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we'll grow um, to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. From Him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows up and builds itself up in love as each part, each, each part does its work, right? You're one of the H's, that makes sense, right? As each part does its work. And so what we see here in these passages, what I want to try and get in the next 15 minutes before we finish, right, is this is heaven's design for how the church should work, right? Which is contrary, unfortunately, to what most of us have experienced. And that's not me trying to be negative about the church. If you know me, you know I want to give my life to see the bride of Christ, particularly in this country, in all its shapes and forms, become all that God had called it to be. But what I also want to say is we have not got this right a lot of the time for the most part. And we want to try and understand how we can be functioning as a New Testament church. All right? So what we have, first of all, is the reason for the church's existence. Right? In that passage, it said that Jesus, he who descended, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the universe. Right? Jesus descended. He went lower than anybody else has ever gone. Isn't that good to know? You feel low today? You feel like in a dark place? You can't go any lower than Jesus has been. For, for you. He knows what it's like to be in that place, right? He, he went lower than anybody has ever gone. In order that he might go higher, right? He's gone higher now than ever, anybody ever has or will, right? So he who descended went right to the very <coughs> pit, came back up and ascended into heaven in order that he might fill the whole universe. There is no dark alleyway, no dark place in your heart or in your mind that Jesus cannot get to, because he's already been there, okay? So he who descended is now the one who has also ascended in order to what? That he might have a nice church? No, in order to fill the universe, right? The beauty of this is God wants to fill it all, right? He wants to fill every part of the world in which we live. But here's what I want to ask you. How is he going to do it? Because he ascended, so Jesus is actually on, on the throne, right? So if he ascended, but he wants to fill the universe, how is he going to fill the universe if he's in technically as the person of Jesus, not here? He's in heaven. How does he fill the universe? He fills the universe through the church, energized by, filled with the very life of himself through his Holy Spirit. And so the church filled with the Spirit is called to move into all the earth. And fill the universe with the presence of God. And yet there is, a, there is a particular way the church is going to be shaped. What does that start to look like? And God um, tells us in, in this passage that we read a moment ago that there are gifts given. That as Jesus ascended up to heaven, gifts are given. And these are what we sometimes call the ascension gifts. As Jesus ascended up into heaven, he gave gifts into his church. Here's what they are. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. 
right? So when Jesus ascended up into heaven, what he did was, this is what we believe, he put into his church not one man to run the show, right? Not some minister that you're going to, you know, pay him 30 grand, give him, that, give him, you know, whatever he might be, you know, look after him, make sure he can do everything, look after us all. That's not, that wasn't what God said. That's not what it says here, right? It says that God put into his church gifts, five specific gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, right? He put five full grace, we call it, into the church. Now, they are almost like, it's hard to describe because they're almost, you don't really see them until you see the church because they're in it. They're like latent in the church. It's like the DNA has been coded into God's people. And because we just don't talk about them enough or because we don't nurture them and honor these graces and get and talk about them enough, then the problem is it's kind of like they're dormant in the church. But we believe that these gifts and graces are the way that God wants to build and design his church. They are They are the modes of Christ's royal presence in the church. So basically, what they are is they are the continuation of Jesus' ministry in the church. So Jesus, think about it like this. Jesus was the chief apostle, right? Jesus was the ultimate prophet. Jesus was the best teacher. No man taught like this man. Jesus was the good Shepherd, the best kind of shepherd to be. Jesus was the greatest evangelist, okay? And so when Jesus went up into heaven, he parsed these gifts and graces into his body so that we would continue his actual ministry on the earth. You getting this? Does this make sense, right? Because it's really, really, it is really, really important stuff, right? So Jesus went up into heaven and he wanted his ministry to continue. And the best way to describe his ministry is through these five gifts and graces. And they're still in his church so that his church can continue to do what he did on the earth today as his body. Okay? So, <clears throat> um, yeah, so let me, let me just give you this quote. I like this quote from Alan Hirsch. Ephesians 4.11, so that's describing these five gifts, is nothing less than the ministry of Christ expressing itself through the body of Christ. So the ministry of Christ continues through the body of Christ if these five graces are released through the, through the body. Anything less than a five-fold ministry is a misrepresentation of the ministry of Christ and by consequence leads to a misrepresentation of Christ in the world. In other words, if we just focus on two or three of these, so most of us, I'd hazard a guess, and again, I'm not trying to be negative at all. We're still trying to work this out, okay? So I'm not trying to be negative of other, church, other churches or anything like that. I'm just trying to say, by the Spirit, what we are asking God to give us grace to become, right? But most of us have grown up with an understanding of we need a pastor and we need a teacher. So we need somebody to pastor us and we need somebody to teach us. You do. But you also need the prophetic word of the Lord. You also need an evangelist stirring everybody up to become a little bit more uncomfortable to actually talk about Jesus to people outside of him. And we need apostles, people that understand the way of Christ and help the church be true to Jesus' original words, which were to go into all the world and preach the gospel and to plant churches. And so these five gifts and graces are really, really important. The best analogy I can give you, for those of you who are doing Ignite, sorry, we just did this a few weeks ago, so this is slightly repetitive maybe for you, but hopefully second time around, it'll be even better, right? Um, it's about like the key, they're like the key vocations in the church. If you're going to build a house, which um, 
the Bible talks about as a metaphor for the church, building the house of God, then you need certain key vocations to do that, core vocations, right? You need a builder, you need a plumber, you need an electrician, you need an architect, you need um, plasterer, um, graphic designer, or whatever you call them, yeah. You need all those kind of things, right? Not in the building, as you can tell, okay? Carpenter. But you need five or six key vocations. If you didn't have all of them, you'd have certain bits of the house that are nice, but not have the whole house nice. And the church of Jesus Christ around the world today for too long has been missing out because they haven't been honoring the gifts and graces that Jesus put into his church when he went back to heaven. So I actually believe even the people that don't believe in these gifts but still do church, I actually believe the gifts and graces of the earth that just allow the Holy Spirit to blow it all up, right? And so, because <clears throat> God wants to put these, God's putting these graces in his church in order to build his house. And so very quickly then, I'm not going to do a massive deep dive into that. I'm just going to go through them one slide in each one. The, the apostle, the apostolic grace, okay, for the church is the overall vigor and extension of Christianity, okay? They are pioneering. They're usually people that are sent because that's the very word apostle means, a sent one. They ensure the church stays true to its big mission, right? So they, they, they get itchy and frustrated if the church starts to get too comfortable. And if the church starts to get too inward looking, the apostolic grace is like, no, we need to be true to the Great Commission, which is to take the gospel from our local area to our regions and to the nations. They have this message that Jesus is Lord or Christ is King. So the apostle is slightly different than the evangelist, and the evangelist really wants to get people to say, Jesus is my Savior, and, and, and that's really, really important. The apostle is like, we want every part, every gap in this town to be filled with the light and love of Jesus. The apostolic grace looks for the gaps, looks for the darkness, goes, let's go there, and let's believe that when we proclaim Jesus is Lord, that, that things are going to shake, okay, and God's presence is going to come. There are foundation layers. The, the apostles, like some Paul describes himself as a master architect, Okay, in the, in the New Testament kind of teaching, uh, uh, he was taking the word from like a town planner. Okay, somebody who was an architecton is the Greek word where we get our word architect. And he was using that word to describe what he was doing in the church, building the foundations so that the church could be um, founded. The custodians of the DNA, they usually carry breakthrough and, and, and want to see signs and wonders. And there should probably be signs and wonders as a result of their ministry. And, uh, and they're like a father and mother. They're not like a CEO of the church, okay? They're like fathers and mothers who carry the heart of God. The, pro- the prophetic gift of grace in is they're called to maintain faithfulness to God. They're, they're guardians of the covenant relationship with God, and they bring God's heart to us. They, they bring us into divine focus. They understand God's heart and man's reality, and they speak into the gap. They help us see and hear what the Spirit is doing beyond what is sometimes known rationally. Okay, so the prophetic grace really feels the heart of God and feels that when we're aware from God or we're not true to God and all of those kind of things, and they speak into that gap. <clears throat> the, the evangelist is a recruiter to the cause. They're, they're naturally infectious people who are able to draw people into the sense of movement by transmitting the gospel really fluently and easily and to connect well with people, and they share the good news. And then there's the shepherd. The shepherd is the nurturer of spiritual development and formation. 
they maintain healthy dynamics. They get annoyed when people aren't getting on right. They like to like make sure that there's harmony in the flock and in the family. They're passionate about a loving community among the people of God. And then there's the, there's the teacher. The teacher mediates wisdom and understanding and brings depth and substance to revelation. Does that ever happen where, you know, you've been at a conference and somebody's given like a sound bite? Or these days, you know, we get like a tweet and it sounds like really prophetic and really awesome. And you're like, whoa, that sounded like the Lord. But what does it actually mean? Yeah. The, the teacher comes in and, and brings a substance to what that is, that prophetic um, insight that's been given. And they, they help us understand and teach us through the scriptures how to apply this to our lives. They help populate the territory that has already been broken through with the culture of the kingdom. They articulate how people are to respond to God and how to live in His ways. And so I say all this, can you, can you understand why God made it such that one man or woman is never supposed to do all this on their own? And so I have loads of brothers and sisters in loads of established churches. I just feel, feel burden for in my heart because they want they want their leader to be a visionary, to be <clears throat> a teacher, to be a pastor, to be able to visit them, to be able to teach them, to be able to be inspiring, to be able to do the budgets well, to be able to, you know, connect people well, to be able to do reconciliation well, to be able to do all of that. And God's like, that's not the way I actually designed my church. I put these five full graces in my church in order to be the wineskin that the wine of heaven can flow in and people can be nurtured and um, in the faith, developed, grown up, and multiplied into the nations. Okay, a few things to say in the last five minutes or so. Some important things to say. All the graces are equally important, but Scripture seems to suggest a divine order. Okay? So, in the kingdom of God, nobody's more important than anybody else, right? So, that kind of goes without saying. But sometimes what we do in... Sometimes what we do is what we're prone to just in our weaknesses. We create hierarchy and we create power structures. And, and that's where this stuff has got weird in the past, right? But the devil really wants us to throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? So what, what you're not going to see here is me running around with the badge, like, you know, or Chris or anybody like Prophet Chris or anything like that. Or, you know, you're, you're not going to see any of that because we're not our, you know, you know Prophet Allen or, you know, you're not, you're not going to see any of that because it's not about titles. It's about honoring the grace of God because it belongs to Him. It comes from His throne. It's connected to His actual throne. So Jesus ascended to heaven and put these gifts into His church so that we could continue what He did on the earth, right, through the gifts that He's put in. So by the Spirit, we become aware of these gifts and graces. And, and, but what it does seem to suggest is that the apostles and the prophets come first, not in order of, you know, them being better, but in order of the gifts that they carry. Because the apostle is like a master kind of architect that helps shape and found a local church, that helps with the, we need to go somewhere, right? We need to, we need to move beyond this place into another place and carry the gospel. That's the way the Lord speaks to them, and that's the way they need to be released, right? The prophetic also speaks into that and helps bring shape to that. And so they're really, really important at the foundation-laying stages, right? You still with me? Yeah. 
So I know this is like heavy, but I love it. Like you know, what I'm so like, they're they're like laying the foundations, okay? And then we need shepherds and teachers and evangelists to really speak into that, right? So we've got the church founded here, but we need evangelists. We need people released to go onto the streets and talk about Jesus here. We need as people get saved, we need pastors raised up that are going to love them, and we need teachers that are going to teach them. We need them all flowing together. All right? We sometimes say it like this. If you want to just remember it. And tell your kids over lunch about this today, because I know you'd love to do that, right? The f- five digits on your hand, the prophet kind of points the way. All right, this is very simple, but he kind of points the way, has a sense of, I think this is where God leading us. That's how God's speaking. The evangelist is the biggest finger. He's kind of out in front of everybody, out on the streets, out beyond everybody, trying to recruit people, trying to tell. Uh, uh, sorry, that's a bit of a sales kind of word, but you know what I mean when I say recruit. Talk to people about Jesus share the gospel with them, naturally infectious about things. The, um, the shepherd comes in, in behind as people come to the Lord, looks after them, watches over them, cares for them, and then the teacher backs that all up with Scripture and helping them understand. And the apostolic is a bit like the, the thumb, can probably do a wee bit of all of them, okay, and, uh, and binds them all together. And when you bind them all together, you get a fist. And what does a fist do? In the, right, in, the, in the right context, the fist kind of brings breakthrough, right? And we can break through some of this stuff in our towns and our cities around this nation that the enemy for far too long has held captive. And we need to punch some of that stuff in the face in Jesus' name, in and through an understanding and release of these fivefold gifts and graces in his church, Okay. These graces should be stewarded and outworked in the way of Jesus. If they don't look like servant-heartedness, if they don't look like washing people's feet, if they don't look like loving people really well, then it's just a title that somebody's got off and one with, all right? And don't trust that. That's a hard hand, as the Bible speaks about, right? They need to be outworked in the way of Jesus. They need to be prepared to lay your life down for the church. Everyone gets to play. Each person is given a grace by the Lord, um, as Christ is apportioned it. So it's not really up to us to go like, oh, why did he get that and she got that and the other? Just to each one, Christ is given a gift. <clears throat> the elders have responsibility to see these graces released and imparted by the Spirit of God through the body. It's our responsibility to see these gifts and graces released. And when we think we're lacking in them, we maybe bring a trusted friend in who operates in that way at a high level, and in a trusted level, in a prophetic grace or an evangelistic grace. And we bring that, and they usually stir that grace up amongst us. There's a distinction between those called to local and translocal leadership. Translocal means just beyond just the local church. And so what we'll start to see, I'll not go into this today, but we'll see this as we go through this, that some people are called to steward the local, while other people are called to be, to be centered in the local, but also to be sent out in order to plant more. And finally, when there's a healthy flow of these fivefold graces amongst the body of Christ, a wineskin is created to steward what God wants to pour out from heaven. All right? All this, last slide. <clears throat> a summary. Why these gifts? Because this is an extension of the ministry of Christ. If we don't have them all flowing, we're misrepresenting Jesus Right? We want to see all of these graces flowing in our churches. And, and some of them are more mature than others. Okay? But we want to see, see them develop and flourish. Number two, because they're heaven's design for the church's government on the earth. 
These are part of the DNA of the ecclesia. Okay? <clears throat> They're part of the fabric that, that shapes the church. And you'll see these working. If you were to read the book of Acts, you would see that Paul comes across different people and he deploys them. That's what the apostolic does. He kind of deploys people. He says, see that couple Priscilla and Aquila? They were really good there. They're really good like shepherds and probably a bit apostolic as well. I'm going to put them over in that young church because we need somebody to go there and really establish them. And then they came across this guy called Apollos. He was a really good Bible teacher, but they had to straighten him out in a few things. And they, they knew he was really graced as a, as a teacher to go and teach certain people. And so they, they used him. And then there was this other guy called Agabus, and he was a prophet. And they were like, we'll need to utilize him in, in the, these places. And so what happened was this amazing kind of network. It's unbelievable when you think about it. Like, you know, think in, in first century, like, world. Like, we, we're trying to do this stuff. This was kind of viral before viral was a cool word, right? This is all happening without any technology, without any transport, without any of these things. They're working hard to be of one mind in order to be a family of families that changes the world. And I believe with all my heart we can get back to something like that. That's what I'm giving my life for anyway. And so number three, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And this is really important as we close. These graces are given in order to help the saints do the work. Now that is not I'm guessing, the way most of us were brought up. Who does the work of the church in your mind? The minister. The professional kind of Christian. He does the work, doesn't he? That's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that the people that do the work are sitting here. The work of the ministry. The work of making Jesus known. The work of displaying the goodness of God into every creek and crevice of society is here. The role of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers is to equip you and me, the saints, you, wherever you are, to do the work of the ministry. That's why these gifts are given. So we have created church with a divide between here's the professionals and here's the laity. And we'll make sure that we're looking after, you know, the minister or the pastor or whoever it might be. We'll give him the title We'll kind of, you know, just subcontract in when we need the odd other leader to do some stuff. And all of a sudden, people are sitting in pews every week, unequipped and unempowered or disempowered to do the work of the ministry. But these gifts are given. And so I am teaching this right from the bottom of my heart today. And I am absolutely ringing inside here, okay? Anyway, right? But I'm preaching it because... Even though I love this stuff, I love the technical nature of it. I could read books about it all day and all night, right? That's just who I am, right? But that doesn't really matter. I'm teaching this stuff because if we can get it right, you can become all that you were called to be. You can become one that Jesus uses to build his church wherever he calls you to be in life tomorrow. And so that's why the establishing of yourself in a local church where these kind of things are operating is essential, I believe, to the fulfillment of your destiny. The word equipping in the Bible comes from this, this, the word cartatismon, which is where we get our word artisan from, our craftsman. And it's a really good word for us, particularly as leaders, to think about our job is to help see you equipped, crafted, 
by the Spirit of God, what He's doing in your life, how He's healing you from your brokenness, how He's setting, how He's putting His dreams in your heart, how He's bringing together all the unique ways you were created in order for you to do the work of the ministry and make Jesus known wherever He has called you to be. In order that we might be built up, sorry, in order that we might be built up through maturity in unity and in the knowledge of of Christ. You are a unique God-designed human being, but you weren't created to fulfill that outside the community of the local church. And I know churches haven't fulfilled this calling always well, and I, <coughs> as a leader of the church, I'm so, so sorry for that. And by God's grace, I'm just doing the best to see if we can, we can get as close to the New Testament and what it espouses are as possible. But we're passionate about seeing the church be all that God created to be. Jesus didn't die for some social club on a Sunday morning. Jesus didn't die for us to be like the Christian version of the Rotary Club. Jesus didn't die for us to be like, you know, a sort of posh kind of nice moral kind of golf club kind of thing. Jesus died for a people who will continue his ministry, take the gospel to the nations, and he chose to put the gifts that represent who he is right into the body of Christ. And so today as we finish, would you pray with me as I ask the Holy Spirit just to stir these gifts and graces up? Because the thing about it is, as we stir them up in here, they get on you. So I have faith to believe that in your workplace, it would make, it'll make no surprise to me if you're the kind of person in the school classroom who people just go to because they want to be nurtured. Because the pastoral grace is just on you and you've got that kind of personality and characteristics and all that kind of thing as well. And so, see, if we just lead, if we just leave, if, I, if we just lead a church, right, that's like pastor model and that's all it is, here's what happens. Here's an example. A school teacher comes to our church, really good school teacher next week, and if all we're interested in building our thing here and maintaining this church, me and Chris will be having conversations, right? Somebody needs to get a chat, chat with her. They'll be really good in our, in our kids' ministry. We need to, like, get them in, make sure that they feel loved. And, or, or a business guy comes and it's like, right, we have, we have a big project coming up. Let's make sure, like, we, like, you know, kind of, like, sort of suck up to him a little bit, get him on side, make him feel like his kids and all are happy. And, you know, make sure we can get a bit of money when the building project comes and then we'll be, right? If we just want to maintain church, that's the way we lead. But, but if you want to lead apostolically, you're about the city and the nation. So when that school teacher comes, you're like, it'd be great if you could serve because we're trying to build something here. But what we're more interested in is how could you, like, how could you change your school? How could you, like, carry influence into the school that you're already in, carry the keys of the kingdom of God? How could you, like, grow an influence in the, edu in, in the education sector? How could you start to blow things up for the kingdom in that world? That business guy, we go, listen, it would be great if you want to give to our building project, but what we're really interested in, you've got a vision for creating a business in this town. It's going to employ people. It's going to give people a chance. It's going to put food on the table. It's going to bring health and flourishing. Do you understand what I'm trying to get at? When you start to lead with these graces, everything starts to change because you're not just trying to maintain your thing. You're thinking about how we change a city and a nation. And that's why Jesus gave us gifts because that's what Jesus came for and that's what Jesus died for. Amen? Stand to your feet, will you? <clears throat> so just in these moments, Holy Spirit, <clears throat> we wait on you.
we wait on you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your love. God, I just want to thank you, Lord, for your presence with us here this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you're here to bless us and you're here through us to bless the world. And Holy Spirit, I just really want to ask that you would move in these moments, God. And Lord, we just looked at, Lord, you know, this text in Ephesians of God that shows us the beauty of your church. And Lord, how you give gifts to it. And Lord, we just want to say we honor those gifts today. We honor those graces. We thank you for those gifts. We thank you for those graces. And God, I just want to pray today, Lord, that even in these moments that you would release in this room, God, Lord, fresh, empowering gifts and graces, Lord, that you would release in this room the apostolic grace afresh, that you would release the prophetic grace, the evangelistic grace, Lord, that you would release the pastor, shepherd grace and the teacher grace. God, we pray that you would stir them. Lord, we say that we want to be a church, God, that's kind of ordered in this way. And we pray that this would be the place that can steward the new wine that we're convinced, oh Lord, in these days you want to pour out. So God, just take what is of you this morning, Holy Spirit. Help us to settle in our hearts. Help us to rest in our hearts. And God, continue to speak to us about it as we delve further into it in the days ahead and the weeks ahead, Lord. Thank you for your church, Jesus. Thank you that you died so that we might be a bride that would reflect you to the world. And Lord, would you help us, God, with your grace to give our lives for this reality we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sorry, we're out of time. Um, if you would like me to pray for you or any of the guys to pray for you, there is a prayer ministry team. If anything is stirred in you and you would just love some prayer, we'd love to do that. I'm going to be at the front, okay? Um, <clears throat> and the Lord bless you. If you grab your kids, that would be brilliant as well. We're just at 12 o'clock. And um, we'll, um, we'll see you next week, if not before. <laughs>